Kate, welcome to Money Bites. You want to give a quick intro of yourself? Sure. Great to be here. My name is Kate Watts, and I am the executive director of a nonprofit, Advancing Women in Tech, that works to basically do what the name of the nonprofit says, but make sure that we're addressing the gender diversity gaps at leadership roles in tech organizations. We've heard the numbers and why that's so important, but you want to maybe give a bit more context on why that's more important? So the way I think about this is pretty nuanced, or I think about it in a number of different ways. First of all, I know that it is so important in the fastest growing industries and technology and how much tech impacts every aspect of life these days and the influence that the industry has on the world around it. I want to make sure that those who are in decision-making power and those who are setting the stage of what is being built are representative of the world that the industry serves. So that's really where my grounding in the importance of this comes in. So currently, if you look at pathways into technical careers, you're starting to see that more and more women are going into tech. However, you're not seeing, if you look at what leadership looks like at a number of the large companies, if you look at who is getting funded by various startups, it tends to be white men. And as we know, there are a lot of other types of people in the world besides white men. Mm. So there's, you're starting to see more diversity at entry level type points. And you're not necessarily seeing that progress into the leadership, the more seats at the table type places. So I really look at these pipelines and I wonder what is making it so that women aren't staying. You see a big drop off probably in like the 30s or about the point of where somebody might be in their 30s, maybe 10, 15 years into their career, leaving tech. Is it the fact that people hit a wall and just they stagnate or rather women hit a wall and they stagnate around a certain point in their careers or they actually leave the tech industry? You are seeing women leave the tech industry at rates that are larger than male counterparts. So there, I see it as potentially both and. There can be some stagnation. There can also just be people walking away. And if we think about the last number of years that we've had between both COVID, things around the large discussion around burnout, discussions around topics like quiet quitting now, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of what is going on in the workforce. How are people being treated? Are folks feeling valued? What's keeping people in? And by the rates that people are leaving, some companies and the industry as a whole, it makes me think that there's lots of opportunities for improvement or things to be going a little bit better. Is it the case that the support structure for men versus women are different at sort of that cliff off point? Or what do you think is the biggest driving force? That's a great question. And I think from what I observe, 
I think there are numerous programmatic supports that are being put in place to support women and other underrepresented folks go through and progress in their careers. And that's a lot of the work that I do with advancing women in tech on a day-to-day basis. There's so many partners and those who are making very genuine programs supporting in an intentional way. And there's also elements of who are you seeing in leadership? Who are your informal conversations with? Are you seeing folks that you identify with and have similar experiences with in a more informal way represented above you? If we think about how I mean, it's as simple as just representation matters. Can you see yourself in the next level? Can you see those who maybe behave, act, look like you, approach work leadership in a similar way that you have in the next sort of level up? If you can see people like that, I think that gives you a lot of encouragement for going, oh, okay, I can be here. If you're not naturally seeing that, your sort of skills, attributes, way of being up, like valued as leadership in your company, organization, et cetera, it makes it more likely that you're going to question, is this the place for me? It's a nuanced thing. There's a lot of work that's going into making sure that there are is like the elevation of women in leadership. And we're just, we're not where we need to be yet. Where do they go after they leave tech? Do we have any? Mm. That's a great question. And I wish I could speak to with more knowledge about what that looks like. I know at AWIT, we are also very focused on supporting the potential of women to found their own companies and support their own ventures. So I get encouraged when I think about how smart so many people are, how many problems that are being identified, and the ability to pivot and look at something themselves and build the culture that they want to create elsewhere. So you are seeing a lot of folks think about what is the world that I want to see and how do I go about building that myself? I think that sort of naturally leads to potential like entrepreneurship questions. And when I think of entrepreneurship, I think of Winnie, (laughs) our little startup. I want to hear more about that. I've been able to hear a bit about it. And let's chat about your entrepreneurship journey. Winnie is basically helping women in tech build generational wealth in as a community, as a safe space. But one of the things that we do discuss, you, you do need to check off the boxes in debt and in terms of 401k max out and all of those stuff. But the top line also matters. How much you make can also make a big difference. And you should be mindful of your career advancement and the total compensation that you're able to get and negotiate, if that's the path that you want to take. I want to bring the question back to you. So if we take a step back into memory lane, what's your first memory of money? My first memory of money, and I am the daughter of a CPA. So that (laughs) provides a little bit of context into this. My top dresser in my childhood bedroom, there were 
I had a weekly allowance and this is when I was small enough that I could not reach the top shelf on the childhood dresser sort mm-hmm. of piece. And there were three different boxes or like bowls that my allowance was divided into. One was for what I, like my fun money, one was for savings, and one was for what I was to donate. Like for oh, wow. where was I what was a cause that was important to me and I would give an allocation as a kid. That's amazing. Did you come up with these categories or did your parents influence you? This was a parent's thing. And so early conversations around money in my house weren't necessarily about amounts, but what will you be doing with it? Mm -hmm. Like, how are you setting yourself up for what you need now, what you'll need later, and what is the world that you want to create. So there would be a number of discussions around what's like a cause that's important to you, what is, what do you want to see done, what's a problem, like, and okay, so let's find a connection point that there can be a donation to. So as a kid, it was often for me, I'm a large animal lover. So like the local shelter would receive, I, and I don't even know how much it was. Maybe it was like $7 or something, but it would be a fraction of things on a regular sort of donations cycle. So I, I also recognize that those conversations are very rare. As I've grown older and you hear other folks' money stories, you realize, oh, not everybody has come up with this same amount of like intentionality or conversations around, okay, so this is your whole bit, but how is it being allocated? How are you ensuring that you're able to be independent in the future with the choices that you're making now? How do you think about what you have and really just secure secure what you want now, but also what you need for the future. That's amazing. That's basically what we want to do at Winnie. So uh, you should come on board. Um, I'm super excited about what you're doing. And it's so important that we talk about money Mm. and what it can enable and that it doesn't need to be something that you're scared of or missed, like just Mm. having a sense of what it is that your values are, what it is that you're working towards, And having a plan around it is really critical and can help you once you have that in place, it can free up so many other moments in your life. Because if you know in your own heart, like, okay, these are the three things that I'm going for and this is how I'm allocating my resources to get there, something else comes along, you can go, hmm, that's really shiny and interesting, but that's not on my path. Like somebody else can have that. I love it. I don't need that. And it can allow you to be focused. I love it. I love it. How I want to ask, though, how did that formative years experience play out when you were in your early in your career and doing your first sort of few sets of negotiations? You know, I wish it had translated better. Looking back on my career, I have made some things. I did not approach conversations in the way that I wish I had. I think I, for some reason, had a sense in my head like, oh, I'm lucky to have a job. 
Mm. rather than I am being compensated for the work that I am performing. And I, perhaps it's that I graduated college in 2008, like entered recession sort of time, felt like, oh, somebody's going to hire me. Mm. And I also worked for a nonprofit and made not nearly enough. And then switched at different places at multiple points in my career. I have been in small organizations where another person's role has gone away. I've absorbed things, saw that as an opportunity to have a conversation about, oh, I'm now doing the work that was two people's. How do we rectify that? Mm -hmm. Like, I know that there's some savings that have happened and maybe I would get a little bump but not necessarily something that felt like it acknowledged the contributions that I was making. And I believe that actually led to me feeling, instead of me continuing the conversation, I think I felt really discouraged, angry, and would then see that as a reason to like, okay, I don't feel valued. I'm now going to go elsewhere. So it was, that was always a mental decision point of this isn't the place for me. I need to go. I've also had things in my career where I've then said that I'm leaving and suddenly money was available. Why do I need to make a drastic change for you to cough up the money? I totally get you. Yeah. I'm thinking about me in my 20s. I did not approach those things in the way that I should have. If I was to go back now with what I know, I would have had said what I needed And then I would have been quiet and see, I would have simply said, this is my range. This is a compensation package that feels like it meets my skills and market value and what this, like where this organization should be compensating in. Here's where my negotiation sort of points are. And I should have stopped talking, just seeing what would have come back. So yeah, there's so much to learn. And if you think about how so many of those attitudes, I know that I'm not alone in any of these like ways of approaching it. And also just how much is left on the table. I think we all do the research of, okay, here's the band. Here's what can be expected. I never followed up on my research until I was older. No, this is what actually should, where I should be. Let's go. There's worse things than getting a no. It's worse to be in a role and feel like you're undervalued and like you're not being compensated at the point that you should be. Or hearing that other people who you are doing similar work that to or are doing better work than are at a higher band than you. I love what you're saying. Do your research, back it up with data, make your ask, and then have the company do a counteroffer. Do you think you're getting paid what you are worth right now? Are you fairly compensated right now? I feel fairly compensated right now. And it's interesting. I don't know that anybody's paid what they're worth in that humans are, we're all worth Mm. so much. I am fairly compensated. I am also someone who loves knowing what the numbers are and knowing how things can be adjusted. Coming from more of the nonprofit sector into tech or a tech adjacent nonprofit, I think there's more flexibility in how your compensation structure can be 
I appreciate that instead of having like an arbitrary, like, here's your salary, let's have an ongoing discussion and adjust or have the opportunities to adjust as situations change. So if we wanted to double click into the flexibility point that you just made, I think that's really interesting because one of the things that we say at Winnie is don't just look at your salary, but look at your total compensation. Totally makes sense that whether it's nonprofit or in tech, you should look at everything that the company has to offer. It's not just the salary, but the benefits, etc. that should be taken into consideration as well. Certainly. And having an understanding too of your organization's size and budget and what is standard to be offered at X place and also what the trajectory of your organization is and where it. So for instance, if you are at a small startup or maybe a small nonprofit like where I am, it might not organizationally make sense for like healthcare, for instance, to be provided by a healthcare plan by the employer. However, you should also know that the, like they can reimburse you for every dollar that you are spending in the marketplace. And so mm. like you can still have perhaps not a employer run insurance plan, but your insurance coverage can still be part of your compensation package. So having an understanding of what some of the ins and outs and opportunities are for various size organizations can also be helpful. And you may find, depending on where you're working and what the resources are, how many people there are, you may find that you need to suggest some of these things too, because it might not be top of mind to everyone. Maybe your employer doesn't offer a 401k. What are some of the alternative sorts of matching programs, compensation that can be going into this until they are at a point where they can be providing that and get it in writing. Say, okay, so once this company hits X, we have a stated agreement that will be going into this sort of plan so that I know that I'm being covered later. People also talk a lot about, I don't know, just vacation time. Mm. What does it look like? A number of places have unlimited PTO. Maybe have a conversation early on on Okay, so I think unlimited PTO, a reasonable use would be one week off per quarter. Like, do you agree? Cool. We've got that stated. Now I'm moving forward. Or whatever your plan is. Maybe it's when you need to be on versus when you need to be off. What your workflow looks like, that you always have opportunity to be working from wherever at this time. Flexibility looks so different for everyone because it's about what are the things that you are prioritizing. So it gets back to that know yourself, what is it that you want, and then go in with what could they do to be an attractive employer for you. Because by the time you're also having these conversations, people are wanting to work together. Like you're wanting to come to a place of agreement for the most part. I think what's a bit difficult though is the burden is still on you to be doing the due diligence and be doing the research so that you know what are the options and you know what is fair compensation for you. And unfortunately, it's just 
that investment in yourself that you need to make. Yep. No, you you are right. And it's in some ways you have to trust others and also look out for yourself and make sure that you're not go in with a spirit of optimism, but also know what's possible. I wish we weren't in a system where that was the place or that was the way. And I also want to be realistic about all the things that surround us. And so really knowing how to navigate the options that are in front of you is pretty critical. I love what you just said, that you have to take care of yourself first as well. At Winnie, when we go through the budgeting system, we have a specific section. After you get your income, there's your pay yourself first bucket. That's your investment into your future self. That's paying off debt, all of those things that are critical to ensuring that your not only your present, but your future is well taken mm-hmm. care of. And I think the ethos is similar here in a sense that a company at the end of the day is still going to be a company. You do need to look out for yourself to make sure that, I mean, who else is? <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I love working at my company, but at the same time, they're not going to necessarily be looking out for you when push comes to shove. <laughs> yeah, and I believe if you go into things with that mindset of, okay, I will take what I can get here and I will give what I can. There will be an equal, fair exchange. And I will assume and I will work towards this being able to progress for as long as it can. But I understand also that things may dissolve. So if you think about the idea of, say, you're getting married and you have a prenup or you're entering into a partnership There's the importance of having your partnership agreement at the first, like sort of preparing for things to dissolve and getting things into writing on the front end. If something happens and you're parting ways that the lines are clear on the front end, that can make the parting a lot less messy or hurtful. In some ways, I think we need to think about our careers and our earnings as I and preparing myself for what will happen when, if and when things part ways, so that I know that it won't, it will be a transition, there will be a lot of feelings, it could hurt, it could be confusing, but I also know that I am fine for a bit financially. Like I can get my bearings without needing to totally dissolve and take the next job that becomes available to me, which might not be the right fit. So I don't know. Yeah. Like having your emergency fund, your savings, having your, an understanding of what's your average spend and what do I need to be bringing in and have in the bank to be able to meet whatever my expenses are for the next bit, or what are the buckets that I stop funding for a bit if I'm in times of transition and how long can I go? Super hard. I I love you touched on that. I think I'm going to add on to it. Going Mm -hmm. back to our compensation discussion, I think it's also super important that you have an understanding of what is your walkaway number. If you're at the negotiation table and 
they give you a number that is based on everything that you've said, plus your career aspirations, what are you willing to walk away from? Having that number in mind, I think, is a good guiding post to say to preventing you from, unless you're in a situation where you need to, going after just the next job that sort of floats your way. Yeah, I think that's a very... I agree. I will not even consider offers below X. At this time in my life, we need to be here. Okay, that's fantastic that you all think that you can get somebody who's great at this point, but that person's not me. I'm going, I'm walking clear. May I ask, how did you get to the point where you recognized like, okay, I've got this walk away number. This is where I am. How, how did you formulate or get to a place where you're like, okay, yeah, here's my number. I've got this. Let's go. To be completely frank, it's pretty recent <laughs> that I came across it. And there's two factors. One, it took me a really long time to get to my current position. I was <laughs> definitely a wanderer. I tried a lot of different industries. A lot of things didn't work out. And my career was definitely a zigzag, not a ladder. So mm -hmm. with that, it took me quite a while to even for me to be in a place where I was mentally feeling safe enough to start thinking about the future. And I think that's one of the parts why I'm building Winnie is mm -hmm. because I wish I had a platform and a safe community like it before so that I didn't feel so lost and in the dark and there there could have been a bit more open conversations about money where I could get a bit of a guiding light. And I think that's the second factor in a sense that money is still very taboo in our society. And because of that, all of these conversations are either happening in silos or in our heads. So how do we bring that to the forefront and just openly talk about even these topics. So long story short, my need is, has pushed me to build Winnie, but also I do recognize it can take a while to get to a point where you're having these conversations and you're able to have that walkaway number. You're able to have your emergency funds and everything checked out so that you can be more strategic. And I think that's a part of personal finance. It's linked with your personal history. Some people mm -hmm. get it, get on board a lot earlier. And hopefully Winnie will help a lot more folks get on board a lot earlier. It's like you said in our earlier conversation, it's totally okay if it takes you a while longer to get to that point. Oh, completely. And I'm reacting to something you said in where you're saying that like it took you a while. I so often, I feel like I hear people say, oh, I was different because I wandered mm -hmm. or like had like a zigzag sort of career. I feel like I know so few people who have just had a straight line. And when I think about how we get the most interesting ideas, connections, spaces, like learnings, values, it comes from the, the exploring, the pivot, the... Mm. I think about how in some ways 
my career felt like it was oscillating between two like large points and like correcting. And as I've gone farther and known myself better, it starts to get a little bit narrower. This is a different point or line of thought, but I also think about how it's so important to connect finance discussions with what it what else is that you're wanting to include in your life? What are your goals around what you want your days to include, what you want your months, your years, like what is it that you're working towards and how can you get to a financial place where that's possible, both in the short and long term? I think so often finance discussions that I see or hear can just be fixated on numbers or like, hey, you want to retire early, so you should have a 50% save rate or something like, and it's like, but what is it you're wanting to do? Is it that you're just not wanting to work or is it that you're wanting time for this? What is it that you're going towards that's motivating that money or how you're using resources? And could things look different? Could it be less of an retire or work conversation if you are able to figure out how, what you're wanting on a day-to-day basis into your life now? Like how can we use the money piece to clarify the rest of our life? I'm getting goosebumps right now because when we used to run an actual live program for Winnie, that was the first thing that we started with. What is your why in driving you to get all of your financial shit together? (laughs) I think it's absolutely critical. I think it's also critical once you have a clear why that you don't keep pushing out the goalpost until you have a really deep assessment sit down with yourself on what is your why and did my why actually change? Because exactly to your point, I think it's very easy to get into almost a habit of you're putting investments at X percent, you have it automated, and it turns into keeping up with the Joneses (laughs) or the Janes Mm -hmm. in our case. And the money story that you're building sort of lose focus on the you. I 100, 200% agree that why should be the beginning and the central point as you start all of these money journey discussions and steps. Love that you brought that up. Oh, thank you. And I'm in agreement with you. And I'm thinking about too, having your why concrete helps you generate all the other numbers that you're needing. So for instance, if you're trying to think about what is my walkaway number, having your, this is what I'm working towards. This is like the track, the trajectory and how it matches with the skills that I have, the value that I bring to the table and also where I'm wanting to go on X timeline. You can figure out your number or your range pretty quickly with that. If you don't have your why in place, you might just be shooting in the dark with, oh, this number feels big and important. Your why is going to be what empowers your walk away if you're not getting what you deserve or what you should earn in a space. And it's also going to be what propels you forward. So, yeah, it's got to, you got to start there. Bringing it home 
how do you think Awit can propel women to have these conversations and get into positions where they can ladder up and bring more women into higher positions so that it sort of just creates this virtual cycle? I think about how AWIT's model works. And to explain this, we provide a lot of mentorships and like small community building for more one-on-one conversations, relationships. How we work on this in our existing programming, say, for instance, in our newest course where it's preparing engineers to become engineer managers. So figuring out, do I want to be managing people or do I want to be continuing to be an individual contributor? Maybe it doesn't differ actually as much as you thought, or perhaps you'll be surprised to see that a lot of times people managers in X are making less than some others. But here, let's have some financial transparency around what it is that a role does and how is it compensated within various industry bands. I also see as we were talking about earlier, about the importance of conversations around finances, but it's also a somewhat taboo conversation. It differs. You're needing to have smaller networks that are trusted and people you can go to ask questions that are specific, but also within trusted relationships where you know each other. Let's role play. Let's evaluate. Let's have some honest conversations of you know what? I know you want to be here. I don't know that you're there yet, but here's how we can get you there. And to start having within smaller groups, trusted relationships, the conversations that can actually empower. So like there's follow-up, there's a shared understanding that's being built is critical. Like it's more than just dropping a blog online and saying, here's my top 10 tips. Yes, that matters, but it also matters that somebody who knows you and knows how you interact, knows what you bring to the table, what you're valuing, can provide actionable feedback and direction and point out some of the gaps that you might have, shed light on some skills that you might not have even realized that you have, and help you understand how you fit into the picture and what you can get is also critical. So that's how I'm thinking about it. And I also am just thrilled to support and be involved with organizations like what you're doing with Winnie and elevate transparency in whatever sort of forms can happen. It's such a critical conversation. and need to, <laughs> need to allow more of it to happen and make sure it does. Love it. Thanks, Kate. This was fantastic. Oh, thank you. 